the National Archives podcast series, Freedom Fighters, Sources for Black Loyalists at the National Archives, presented by Abby Husseini. I know there are several books and articles that have been written about the African-American contribution to the American Revolution, and uh, plenty of information on several websites about black loyalists and black blogs, etc. Therefore, I will not go into an in-depth history on this subject. Instead, I would like to talk about the sources we hold to put the flesh on the bone through the images of documents and many examples. I would like to bring the history of the black loyalists to life, as well as their struggles and hardship to achieve freedom and the promise of democracy in America. In 1770s, in those days, the term, the word Negro was commonly used in the documents and also the word blacks as well, therefore I will be using the word. I know it's politically incorrect, but I'll simply use it. This slide just to show the 13 British colonies in America to get an idea. During the early days of American Revolution in November 1775, Lord Dunmore, the governor of Virginia, issued a proclamation and declared martial law in his colony calling upon all indentured servants, Negroes or others, appertaining to rebels in brackets, free that are able and willing to bear arms, they joining His Majesty's troops as soon as, as may be, for the more speedily reducing this colony to a proper sense of the duty to His Majesty's crown and dignity. The National Archives hold the proclamation under this under document reference CO5-1353 uh, and the relevant correspondence to go with the proclamation. London famous author Samuel Johnson had said this of the American rebels, how is that we hear the loudest help for liberty among the drivers of Negroes? Dunmore may have realized this contradiction expressed by Tory Johnson. On 30th November 1782, a provisional peace agreement was signed between Britain and the USA. Part of the terms of Article 7 of the agreement was, all hostilities, both by sea and land shall from henceforth cease. All prisoners on both sides shall be set at liberty and His Britannic Majesty shall with all convenient speed and without causing any destruction or carrying away any Negroes or other property of the American inhabitants, withdraw all his armies, garrisons, and fleets from the United States. On 15th April, 1783, the Commander-in-Chief, Sir Guy Carlton, issued an order to the effect that the provisional articles were to be strictly observed. The Paris Peace Treaty is uh, held under document reference F493, by two. It's a beautiful document. I really like that red color, the front cover. And it gives the front page of the treaty as well. And this was sign signed on 3rd September 1783, and which ended the United States War of Independence. The seal of the Definitive Treaty of Peace. As you can see, there are four seals on the Definitive Treaty of Peace. There are actually five seals. Please note that the signature of John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, John Jay, who were representing the United States. David Hartley is from the British Isle. The birth of black loyalists. Right after the announcement, within a week, 300 black men joined the governor, uh, governor's Ethiopian regiment. In November 1775, Lord Dunmore, Royal Governor of Virginia, 
issued his proclamation that slaves owned by rebels could gain their freedom by fighting on behalf of Britain. It is important to note that this offer of freedom did not apply to the slaves owned by loyalist whites. Moreover, some slave owners were angered by this announcement and it provoked some neutral and formerly loyalist whites to join the rebels. The British thus became more cautious about pursuing support from blacks. When British forces had manpower shortages, they welcomed black fighters on occasion, but clearly the British government of the Revolutionary War era was not seeking an end to slavery in North America. Slave-owning planters feared when their neighborhoods became torn up by warfare that slaves might flee. So, some planters took the precaution of moving their slaves to remote places far from war theaters. Thomas Jefferson, the main author of the Declaration of Independence and the future U.S. President, saw 30 slaves abandoned his Virginia estate. Some northern blacks fought with the rebels, including Rhode Island, where there were shortage of revolutionary fighters, but southern blacks joined the British on some occasions, while others ran off to Florida and other places in hopes of escaping their slave masters. Many perished from sickness and starvation. George Washington initially expressed great honor at Lord Dunmore's action. If that man Dunmore is not crushed before this spring, he will become the most dangerous man in America. This was quoted in, uh, in a book by or Blackburn. I will come to that a little bit later on again. But Washington's grave fear were not realized. The royal governor had retreated to his ship and his commanders feared slave owner wrath if they aggressively pursued recruitment of blacks. Now, I have this slide about uh, Book of Negroes. The blacks who joined the British forces, they were called black loyalists. When they got the freedom and they were sent to Nova Scotia. So before they sent them to Nova Scotia, they enrolled all their names. When the first ship carrying black loyalist passengers left from New York in 1783, and their names were recorded in a book, it is called Book of Negroes, not to be confused with the novel written by respected author Lawrence Hill. This is an original document under reference PRO 30 stroke 55 stroke 100. It's actually from the private papers of Guy Carlton. What exactly it does is, it gives names of black loyalists, age, physical description, and status, that is, slave or free, for each passenger, and often an owner's name and place of residence. Only three copies of the Black Negro exist with some variation of details. It lists 3,000 names. We have one in Guy Carlton's private papers. This uh, second one is in Canada at the Nova, Nova Scotia Archives, Halifax. The third one is uh, at the National Archives of USA, Washington, DC. Here I would like to show, again, it's coming from the, the book, The Overthrow of Colonial Slavery, 1776 to 1848 by Robin Blackman. It's a very interesting book. I thought I will put this table to show the total population, especially in British North America. In my next uh, slide, this table shows how many uh, blacks, 460,000, 
And out of that, how many joined the forces? 30,000 slaves joined the British regiments. So this is just to give an idea how many joined at the time. So what type of records we hold in here? We have lots of claims uh, made by white loyalists and black loyalists as well. I thought I will show this um, audit office records. One example in here. This slide is about Peter George, a black born Pennsylvania in September 1777. He joined the army then under the command of Sir William Howe. He was frequently employed as a wagoner and laborer to the army and on the evacuation of New York came to England. He has been in service and at present has only 18 pence per week for attending at a gentleman's house. He's a single man. Before he joined the army, he supported himself by his trade as a miller. At the evacuation of Philadelphia, he was obliged to leave clothes and other articles worth of 25 pounds. These are certificates of his loyalty and at present distress from Sir William Howe and Colonel Balfour, the former certificate mentions his having been serviceable in pointing out the forces in the river Sekkil. I think I got it right. It's a Dutch word, I think. And again, it says he was employed as a wagoner and laborer attending the army. 10 pound per annum from the 10th October 1786. And what was the decision was made? The decision was, it says, in addition to the strong testimony which Sir William Howe and Colonel Balfour's certificate bear to the loyalty and services of this man, we are informed from other undoubted authority that he is very proper object for some assistance from government. However, as he is a single man and may probably get into some employment, we think that the proper allowance for him will be after the rate of 10 pounds per annum and to commence from the 10th October 1786. So he didn't get very much in the end, basically, but still got something out of that. There are lots of information about uh, American black loyalists and their claims on several websites. It also gives the names, but this is to actually to show the documents and the dialogues going between various officials, how they decided it, to do that. This slide is about memorial and petition of Thomas Peters, a free black loyalist and a late sergeant in the regiment of guards and pioneers uh, to the right honorable Lord Grenville, one of his majesty's principal secretaries of state. Thomas Peters actually, he made several petitions. He did one in 1785 when he was living at uh, Digby in Nova Scotia. Then another one was, there's no date for that, there's another one was in Brindley Town, and another one was in 18 March 1719, Fredericton, and another one on 18 April 17, again in 1790 from Fredericton. There's a lot of information about him and um, on various websites. It actually gives the whole how he was involved in this, and he was like a leader of the local uh, black loyalist in Brindley Town, and, and how he wrote. There was lots of information already there, so I don't, I don't want to go into it. But what I would like to show here is we can trace these kind of petitions, not only just in the colonial office records, 
this, um, th this, this partition is coming from CO217, which is the Nova Scotia correspondence. What I'm trying to say here is not only from the colonial office, but also in the foreign office records relating to America as well. Um, for example, this one. And this one is um, actually coming from a foreign office document. This is a duplicate copy, actually. was sent to the foreign office as well. So you will find some duplicate information in the Foreign Office records as well. This particular document, CO217, is a very important document, historically extremely important document. I'm not a historian on this subject. Dave asked me to do this. I said, okay, I'm going to do this on this subject. So I started learning quite a lot about this. This particular document is fantastic. It gives lots of information. You can actually construct a story about the whole subject. We found the petitions from various black loyalists, especially from Thomas Peters. And then I found this um, list of blacks in Birchtown who gave their names for Sierra Leone because there's harsh conditions in Nova Scotia. And then they made the petitions to go to Sierra Leone. And it actually lists all the names there. Then it gives the, the general embarkation return of the blacks destined to Sierra Leone. Okay, this is another one. In the same document, you can see that I've only selected a few, but each page is, is historically very valuable document. And this particular image is petition to John Parr, governor of Nova Scotia, from remaining black subjects of the county of Shelbourne and Birchtown to grant and enable them to purchase a cow and two sheep. It's a kind of a sweet petition as well, asking for something. But it also gives lots of family history information and the struggle, how to write it, how to achieve things. And it lists all the names as well, the petitioner's name. Again, this one is from the Foreign Office document. This is a certificate, Loyal Volunteer Certificate of New York. They need to carry this certificate to show before they went to Nova Scotia, you know, they were loyal subjects. Okay, what exactly happened? There are black loyalists in Nova Scotia. The black loyalists settled in Birchtown, Shelburne County, Nova Scotia. Land grants were given to them. However, life in Nova Scotia was not as good as had been promised. In response to famine and ill treatment, 1,196 black loyalists relocated to Sierra Leone, West Africa, on 15th January 1792. They departed Halifax in a fleet of 15 vessels. 67 died during the voyage. The rest landed at Freetown on 28th February and 9th March 1792. Many of the black loyalists also came to England as well and found themselves in a destitute position. A committee for the relief of black poor was set up to monitor the situation and to come up with the alternative solution. In England here, many came in here. We have a memoranda from John Irwin, a conductor of certain intended settlement or colony to be situated on the grain coast of Africa and to be called the land of freedom. This one was done here in London, in England. It's interesting to see that this is coming from the Treasury document now. I mean, this is to show that how it spreads, you know, various government departments at the time, how they handled this, you know, back and forth to decide. It was an internal document here from this country. Now, I'd like to talk about what's going on from here. I want to show some other example from the Admiralty records. 
It's even the design that there's a whole story about, you know, there were blacks here, there were destitute here, and uh, various, various officials and also some good Samaritans got involved and um, to decide that, okay, we will send the poor blacks in here uh, to Sierra Leone. Once it was all decided, and then the Admiralty, various captains, their correspondence, I would like to show in here. This is a one example in here. It's, this is a letter from a captain, Captain Thomas Bolden Thompson. This actually, this letter says, this is for the ship Nautilus, I take the liberty to enclose you a copy of my letter to the Navy Board of this day for the information of my Lord's Commissioners of the Admiralty, by which they will be able to judge of the detention of the transport at this port. I beg to inform you that His Majesty's sloop under vague command is in every respect ready for sea, and that I only wait for the blacks and the master to join the ship. That's exactly so this is just to show an example, you know, what we have at the National Archives. This is another Captain Thompson's letter to the Admiralty in here in this slide. The same captain, you can say it, and uh, it goes on about the same ship. Uh, there were three ships took the black immigrants to Sierra Leone in 1787. The ships were Belisarius, Vernon, and the Atlantic. I just here uh, showing an example of one particular ship and various correspondence. Then I traced Natalia's logbook, um, that's in ADM 51 stroke 627. I mean, you know, just to show how, you know, you can construct the story of the ship and the hardship. The logbook actually gives information if it was sick and or something happened. You can construct the story from these documents. Then we have in the treasury document again, the passenger list of the ship, the Atlantic taking the immigrants to Sierra Leone. I just gave a kind of a brief history in here and that some documents to go with that history. Now, the actual records, where, what do we have here at the National Archives? The main records are going to be colonial office records relating to America and West Indies, Nova Scotia, and Sierra Leone. The earlier correspondence from America and West Indies is going to be in CO5 series. Then the Sierra Leone original correspondence there are two series for them. Normally used to be one series, but two series in CO267 and 268 series. And uh, Nova Scotia and Cape Britain original correspondence in CO217 and 218 series. These are the main sources for the colonial office records. We also have the foreign office records, especially in FO4 stroke one. So that one example, that particular document has got a lot of information for that period. There are some correspondence in the uh, Slave Trade Department correspondence in FO84 series, and other information in War Office 1 series as well. About the claims, about American white loyalist claims and the black loyalist claims in AO12 and AO13 series, then Admiralty Department correspondence. You see, apart from the, let me say, the, also the Navy was involved during the American Revolution. So we have lots of correspondence and ship's logs, etc., in ADM 1 and ADM 51 and ADM 106, ADM 109 series. And also ADM 128, which is the North American West Indies Station, correspondence, reports, and memoranda. That's a very important series to check. And then some odd references in other government departments, like the Board of Trade correspondence about Sierra Leone. 
the border trade correspondent gives lots of information about this, this particular document, BT6-70, gives lots of information about Sierra Leone Company, of the history of Sierra Leone Company, and the early settlers from Nova Scotia. If someone is interested in, in the history of early settlers in Nova Scotia, I would highly recommend to check the BT6-70. I don't want to go into every individual document reference here. I will highly recommend you to check on the online catalog. It will pull all these references, which is listed here. Lots of treasury documents. There's a one series, which is T-79, American Loyalist Client Commission records. That's also a very interesting record series. Okay, we have seen colonial office record. We have seen foreign office, admiralty, war office, all this sort of a thing. What else we have at the National Archives? We have private papers. Cornwallis papers has got lots of information, and Guy Carlton's papers, Chapman papers. Then for the later on period, after 1776, after the declaration of independence, there are lots of foreign office correspondence and private papers of Stafford Canning papers in FO352 series, Jackson papers in FO353, and Woodbine Parish papers in FO354, archives of American Claim Commission in FO304 record series. Okay, we have documents. Do we have anything maps in here? Yes, we have lots of maps in CO700 series for this period. Keep the names of the one side uh, from the Book of Negroes, and then out of these maps from CO700 series, you can actually work out the plots which have been allocated to various black loyalists. I wish I could have pressed it, but I think I found one, but unfortunately, that map is a huge map, and I couldn't scan that document. So what do we have for the Second War of Independence? It's the War of 1812. Washington had expressed fears that Lord Dunmore could be the most dangerous man in America for unleashing blacks against their white masters. This vision may have come closer to fulfillment in the War of 1812, when Admiral George Coburn offered slaves freedom and they joined his forces in August 1814 to set the White House on fire, as well as many other public buildings um, in the new nation's capital in Washington. The U.S. president and his wife ran off to the woods of Virginia. Admiral Coburn and Alexander Cochrane had added 300 black troops to the forces, and the British report gave this recruit praise for job well done. What do we have here? about uh, Second War of Independence. We got lots of information. We got lots of admiralty records. And uh, uh, because Admiral George Coburn took the fleet from the Bermuda, there are lots of correspondence in the Bermuda original correspondence. So I have just shown you a few examples from CO37. But if you make a keyword search on our online catalog, you will find lots of references on the Second War of, War of Independence. So this will be useful, and I try to give a, a, you know, give some good examples to show what we have in here. This event was recorded live on the 8th of October 2009 at the National Archives, Kew. This podcast is copyright to the National Archives. All rights reserved.